You're listening to The Chartographers Chartographers. It is a music-loving podcast for music-loving people where we take every single album by a particular artist and we rank it worst to best. And guys, this is it. This is the season two finale. This is something that Taryn and I have been working on for like seven fucking months doing all these episodes where we pick artists that we love, we pick guests that we think can talk about them in great, awesome ways, and then we go ahead and do research. We read books, we watch documentaries, and listen to discographies over and over and over again. It's been a crazy journey. It's coming to an end, and I just want to thank you all for listening. It, it goes without saying, season two has been our biggest season yet, because we only have one other season to compare it to, but that's okay, because guess what? We are here talking about, you know, we like to do the seasons like TV show. We open with a big artist, we close with a big artist. Season one opened with Beyonce, we closed with Prince, my dearly beloved. And then this season... Dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. We, this season, we open, of course, with Michael Jackson, one of the biggest pop stars of all time. And now we are closing with arguably the most influential. Guys, that's right. We're going to dig into this shit right now. We're going to be talking about the one, the only, that omnisexual space wizard with the hot guitar and glitter in his veins, although upon closer inspection it might actually be cocaine. Guys, David Bowie is wow. on the docket. He did cocaine, Bobby. That is a thing that happened. It is well documented. And well, at the David Bowie is exhibit, they had his spoon. I think wow. he, even ha- he even has a couple lyrics about it, right? Where <laughs> yeah. he literally says the word cocaine. Okay. Yeah, like, multiple times. Even, like, well, that's not really something that I I don't get how somebody was able to verify that that's his actual coke spoon when he can't remember making the station station. But like somebody has to go up to David Bowie and be like, "Was this the coke spoon that you used?" And we're like, oh, <laughs> sure. Was it found on a scene? Is there a photograph? I don't know. These are the questions that will be answered in our wonderful podcast. Uh, so, guys, yes, we are going to be doing David Bowie, and we're going to be doing essentially. I think some would argue. His classic era. We're going from his debut in 1967 all the way up to 1980 before he took a nice three-year break before he wound up doing uh, a much more pop-oriented route in the 80s and that too. Uh, So guys, we're going to be talking about a nice period of time in which he put out 14 albums. And listen, we're going to keep this to two parts because no one wants to hear the part two of a part three episode where it's like, I think you're wrong about album 16. Like, we're going to just keep it like really nice and concise. 14 albums, we're gonna rank it, and it's our season finale, Taryn! It's a big fucking deal! Oh, I know! I know! Oh my god! And so you know what we have to do for it? We have to assemble, bring some of our favorite friends, past guests, friends and enemies and warriors like, all around. Veritable spiders from Mars. Ver- if you will. Kind of the goon squad, as I like to call yeah. it. So, uh, first off, to, so just so you know, first off, there's me. I'm Evan Soddy. Uh, you might know me. I'm the interviews editor over at Pop Matters. Uh, I write stuff. I talk to people. And guess what? I'm also the host of this podcast. I hope that you know me as the host of this podcast, because I love this podcast dearly and profanely. And, of course, if you oh, know... Okay. Profanely. Yeah, the secret and the profane. Um, and if you know that, then you you also know the person sitting next to me, the Tony Visconti to my Ken Scott. That's right, guys. Fucking, because no one is David Bowie. I want that to be clear. We are not assigning roles <laughs> of that anywhere Bowie else. Is. Exactly. That's, okay, yeah. great. Uh, Taryn O'Reilly, guys. Taryn! You're Taryn! <laughs> coming, Taryn. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't often get introduced by multiple people. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for that stellar welcoming. Um, stellar. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 
we're down to three guests. God, this is terrible. But hey, guess what? What? Uh, we have two former guests here in the studio joining us for a massive mega podcast that we're doing right now. Our favorite guests, even. Exactly. Uh, but literally, uh, one of the things we have here, he, you've heard him on the most episodes of all. We brought him back multiple times over and over. You've seen his writing over at Pop Matters, and next year you're going to hear some of his music as well. He is a great, great dear friend of ours. <laughs> the one, the only, John Harvey. Uh, How you doing? Doing good. I'm glad to glad to be here and yeah. talking about David Bowie. David fucking talking about Bowie. another one of the greats. I know we've had you on for some really great greats too, and uh, I don't know if we're gonna have you another Beck episode because the new songs are kind of eh. We'll, yeah, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I know exactly. It'll I be mean, a curious little thing. Well, side note. I mean, why, why do that one when apparently you're sitting on like some Kraftwerk Aphex Twin album, and I'm supposed to be excited about Up All Night? <laughs> <laughs> Very anyway, we're here, we're here to talk about David Bowie. It's a good Bowie. 2017 question. Uh, and the thing is that I'm really fucking excited that you're yeah. here, Mick Ronson. Yeah, I've been back here for Prince, Flaming Lips, and Kanye. And I gotta say that I think that, you know, David Bowie and Kanye West, I feel like Kanye is also the only other person that's really surrounded themselves with so much genius and so many brilliant collaborators as David Bowie. <laughs> Okay. Uh, are, you being, are you being earnest? Yeah. No, yeah, no. I mean, okay, like, I was I mean, really, I wasn't sure that was a joke. No, I mean, like, yeah. there's two guys that, you know, like, uh, I don't think there's any been anybody, Connie's the only person since Bowie to really have as many people be like, this guy's a genius, he knows what's up, and I kind of want to get on board. Mm-hmm. People that normally would be like, that's not my thing. People are, he's magnetic, and everybody that has some sort of creative drive, like, for whatever reason, we're all, we've all accepted that David Bowie is, like, prime art. Yeah. And I can't wait for Kanye to hit his never let me down phase. Because that's going to be a whole different bag of potato chips, let me tell you. Uh, but also, I'm not sure if you heard the person so far generating the most applause out of anyone in the studio right now. It's so appreciated. Uh, exactly. He is the host and co-creator of the movie podcast. I'd see that. Uh, if you want to hear a good episode to listen to, listen to the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 episode. Because I'm on it, too, uh, with him and his dear friend Jeff George. He's also, uh, you've seen his writing in other places, including Pop Matters. You've also, on top of that, you've probably actually heard his radio show on Chirp Radio. One of the longest running shows they've had, Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Most importantly, though, guys, he's been here. You've heard him on the Beatles episode. You heard him on the Decemberist episode. He's back in studio. The one, the only, Bobby Evers is here! Hi, everyone. Bobby! Hey, listeners. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know what your qualifications are for this episode? I know what they are. I mean, want me to tell you what they are, though? Tell me what they are. <laughs> they are, you have a cat named Ziggy. Oh, I do, but also I DJed a David Bowie night that was sold out in the city of Chicago. Yes, you what? did. Yeah, exactly. It was like, how long was it after he passed? Like It, it was, was like pretty... two or three weeks. I announced it the day that it was became public information because like I was creating the event page for the regular dance night that I have, uh-huh. and I messaged the manager of Crown Liquors. I was like, can we make it a Bowie night? And he was like, oh my God, please. And I did, and it like went viral. Like Everyone saw each other going to it. It became and this huge it thing. It became a huge thing. And yeah. they had to turn people away at the door. Like, there was a shit. line at the door. And it was every, free. It was Every so David fun. Bowie event that I remember <clears throat> that was already scheduled sold out immediately. I remember before he died, there's a local Chicago cover band called Sons of the Silent Page that were supposed <laughs> to do a show at the Metro. Yeah. And I was going to already probably go and see that anyway. Yeah. The thing. And the moment that Bowie passed, like, it sold out in like a day. 
Wow. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're going to have a lot of Bowie stories to talk about because especially right now, we're talking about some of the most lasting and iconic albums and characters and images because Bo David Bowie, this Brixton-born lad with a love of the theatrics and occasional mime work, uh, he wound up doing something that was really kind of revolutionary at the time, too, because as much as the Beatles decided, like, we're going to be another band within the band with Sgt. Peppers, this is an artist who changed multiple times, who almost, you could argue, no two albums really sound alike in their own particular ways. He created characters, and I say characters as in plural, as in multiple, because he changed and evolved. And while in the 80s and 90s, and especially in the 90s, you could call him a bit more of a trend chaser, here he was a trendsetter, breaking down barriers in terms of what was acceptable in terms of the mainstream public consciousness in a way you couldn't believe, and that is across 14 albums. What are they? Glad you asked, Bobby. Uh, we have the very whimsical pop debut of David Bowie in 1967. We have the much more uh, acoustic rock and space out there, Space Oddity from 1969, originally called Man of Words, Man of Music. Uh, there is his first flirtation with uh, hard rock in the terms of Man Who Sold the World in 1970, dress on the cover. There was his kind of much more streamlined uh, straight-ahead pop album in the terms of Hunky Dory from 1971. There's, of course, the time he created his first legitimate, like, out-there character in terms of Ziggy Stardust and the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars in 1972. Uh, there was the album, the little bit of coked-out album that was followed that in 1973. The covers album, the last album recorded with the band, the Spiders from Mars from 1973, Pinups. Uh, there was the abandoned George Orwell music Musical that was 1974's Diamond Dogs. There was his remarkable turn towards Philadelphia soul in terms of Young Americans from 1975. There was the proggy continuation of that in terms of Station to Station in 1976. There was the start of his very experimental half-pop uh, songs, half-instrumental Berlin trilogy of Low in 1977. There was the much more uh, muscled-up continuation of that, Heroes, in 1977. There was the, you know, let's forget the instrumental parts, Lodger in 1979. And there was his quote-unquote return to form in the rockin' Scary Monsters and Super Creeps in 1980. Whew, that is a lot of fucking albums, guys. And that's just up to 1980. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to talk about some stuff a little bit later on down the line. But more importantly, though, uh, 14 albums. He doesn't really have, like, EPs, crazy releases. Like, if you want to get super fucking technical, uh, Durham, the record that put out his debut in 1967, trying to capitalize on success, put out another compilation of songs he recorded before then. Most famously, The Laughing Gnome, the greatest song that he ever did oh, in all of time. Exactly. Uh, but then on top of that, uh, like, everything else is pretty straightforward. The only thing that I could think is maybe questionable in terms of ranking his albums is Pinups from 1973. Because, like, that was, like, he did covers here and there, but that is an album straight top to bottom full of covers. Uh, like, I mean, for the most part, like, a lot of people consider it part of his discography. Is there anyone disputing that, really? I mean, it's there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's talk. It's, it's talk there. About. That's a strong reading endorsement. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, what's it? It came after like his biggest album, right? Like, I mean, well, it's two biggest albums. Right, yeah. At the time when it was his biggest album, you know, it came like right yeah. after, like after like his big breakthrough. That mm -hmm. I mean, like it's a little bold move to throw that out mm -hmm. in there. Like, I still think it's still part of it, you know, yeah, part of that lineage. And also, especially yeah. since like he does throw in like a lot of covers of the people that he likes live anyway. I guess yeah. like. It, it also was kind of like it's a Sinatra move, you know. <laughs> it was like he it's like you know he was like trying to appreciate his like his heroes that would do the standards album, and it's mm -hmm. kind of like Bowie does the standards. So I give it. He's that. Okay, Bobby, do you have any uh, disagreements on it? Nope. 
Okay, great. So listen, we're going to be ranking 14 albums, and of course there's four of us doing it here. Because Bowie changed style so often, I feel like us and you, the listener at home, you probably, everyone has a different entry point and a different favorite phase and era of Bowie there. So listen, I understand that when it comes to collectively, consensively ranking 14 albums, there's got to be a lot of disagreements there. And I think the great thing about this and having former guests on here, we're going to have some disagreements. Sometimes they're going to come to simple out voting here, but we're not here trying to like one-up or like, my number one's going to be number one no matter what. Like, we're here to talk about David Bowie, and that's fucking awesome. So, we're just gonna... Yeah. Also, it's a hard one to pick. Yes, it is! It's a really hard one to pick. I know. Like, I, I, I know what I want, but even then, like, I threw in, like, one of my top three before, like, going here after listening to my top one last night, and uh -huh. I'm like, it's still up there. I'm like, now I don't even know anymore. I, I know. don't even fully... I'm afraid to commit to a number one. <laughs> and same, that's the biggest... Same. And same here. I think we all agree that maybe not Bobby. Bobby, you have a number one in mind. I have a number one in mind, but I'm also flexy. You're flexy. flexy. Yeah. You're flexy like flexy. Bowie. Yeah. All right, cool. I love it. Yeah. So in that case, we're going to go ahead and debate it there, and we're going to start. And listen, John Harvey, you've been on here so many times that I'm not going to throw the unenviable task at you anymore. Actually, Bobby, I, I think I could. I, I kind of want to make a stance real quick. Oh, shit. Okay, I'm Bobby. curious about what this is. Okay, gonna be. in that case, number 14 for the 1967 <laughs> to 1980 era, John Harvey, what will so, you nominate so as the worst David as, Bowie as the most frequent guests on this show. You know, I've listened to a lot of albums uh -huh. for to prep for this, uh -huh. and uh, one of these, I think, takes the cake as the worst album is, is I've it, is ever Is it controversial? I'd say the David Bowie self-titled from 1967 Woo! is the worst album I've listened to while doing the Chartographer's <laughs> guest appearance. I'd say it would be less embarrassing for you... I'd say it'd be less embarrassing for your parents to catch you masturbating than it would for one of your friends to find you listening to the David Bowie But, like, really enjoying album. it, too. Like, yeah. I joined the gang! Because yeah. I, I played it on... I, I was, like, playing around there, and I had people walking around the house, and I kind of, like, turned it down a bit, because I didn't want anybody to be like, what the fuck are you... To be like, are you enjoying this? Did you put this on on purpose? I mean, like, it's... Okay, so for size, it's like... This is his, you know, it's his first debut album. Bowie's like, you know, he's a young, eight-year-old kid he's trying really to, like, young. Yeah. Just trying to, yeah. he's trying to do what's, what's happening already. Rock and roll is in full effect. Yeah. And, uh, but the thing is, you know, he's not a full-on songwriter by any means. And some of these, probably, he's a very literate guy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like the English of it all is fine. But, like, you know, <laughs> there's, like, some of these just don't have hooks. And the ones that do. Okay, so Sell Me a Coat is maybe what? the most ridiculous <laughs> thing ever. One, it also sounds like he's singing Sell Me a Goat. It totally sounds like goat. <laughs> and he's like, Sell me a goat with silver bell whistles. Sell me a goat with pockets of boat. snow. Yeah. yeah, no, the first time the first time I heard that song, I paused it. I walked a, like all the way across the apartment and went to Evan and I was like, sell me a goat. Like I was not happy when you did that either. Wait, can we, like, oh, can, can yeah. we talk about Love You Till Tuesday? Um Favorite song on here. What? I love that song. <laughs> that song's an abomination. No. Oh. He's so weird. He's like, it's just me in a tree and I'm trying to romance you. Like, what? No, David Bowie, if David Bowie jumps out of me out of a tree, I'm gonna be terrified. Um, so let's put it let's put it in context there. Uh like you gotta keep in mind, especially 1967, the crooner thing is going on there. There's some other shitty ass crooners that are going on there. In fact, he actually later had a hit with another artist covering uh all Oh, the pretty things, uh, you pretty things later on. So, like, he was able to, like, bank on stuff like that with these generic-ass fucking 60s-ass bell-bottoms-wearing whatever 
or singers that go on these top of pops type shows. And so the thing is that he was never going to be as bold as, like, say, Scott Walker, who at the time was putting out, like, daring, bold, dark-ass, like, straight-ahead crooner shit. He wanted to, like, emulate kind of his thing, so he did this whimsical record. It's his debut. I get it. He was recording a lot of other shit through Durham as well, hence The Laughing Gnome. So, like, as a songwriter, though, if I was 18 years old, he's writing some kind of, like, you know, complex and dark things. I'm not defending this record very hard, guys. I'm just saying that at the onset... It's some goofy stuff. It makes, yeah. yeah, it makes sense that this would be a first album. It reminds me it's, of, like, please, please me. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, very bubblegum. It's overambitious. And yeah. I think this record also suffers from, like, you know, he's still really trying to learn how to write, you know? Like, which yeah. is why, like, you know, there's, like, there's very few... This and the next record, like, there's just very few hooks and choruses on there. Some songs don't even and, fucking rhyme, like, fucking join the gang. And, the worst fucking song and ever And I feel like Bowie, at this point, knew who he wanted to write like, mm-hmm. but was not really capable of doing that. You know that he's really into Bob Dylan. You can tell that he's really into Ray mm-hmm. Davies of the Kinks. And he's That's trying, a big one And there. he's trying to do this thing where he's, like, trying to find, like, the whimsy and everyday activities and what you do, mm-hmm. but, like, where... And, like, and it's the same thing you get with, like, a Sid Barrett, a Pink Floyd. Like, it's kind of very traditional stuff, like, very normal activities that let's find the magic in it, but, like, when he writes about it, there's not a whole lot of magic in what he's writing. There is one song I will go to bat for on this album. Oh, God. Please, please say not Mr. Please Mr. Do- Gravedigger. It is Please Mr. Gravedigger. No! <laughs> because it's no. fucking creepy. It oh, is! God, it's creepy. There's no music. There's, like, weird tinny audio. just talking. It's him talking. Yeah. And so, like, in this very bright album, at the end of it, it's him talking to a fucking... Grave digger, oh, like a yeah. I feel like it's like, like a, it's like a murder girl. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's an image of like what is to come later. Like but it's he goes Mr. down the dark path. Yeah. like it's yeah. just so strange. It's, it's, and coming by just my imagine toys, guys. playing that in a oh, bar guys. with a bunch of drunk hipsters, and like everyone is just standing there. And they're sad. Did this happen to you? Yeah. Was this at Bowie? I played it. Why would you? <laughs> because it was. I wanted to start with his death and then move on. It, it worked so well. Oh Wait, my. So you, I'm sorry. So you opened with, with? I didn't open with this. I opened with Black Star, and then I played Please, Mr. Gravedigger. I was like, I'm gonna do it early before anyone is drunk. And then, yeah, and then we'll do party shit. And then we'll do follow up that's, with Gravedigger. I think like the Wailing Wall or something. Man, you're, okay. going, you're going in hard. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, hard. we're going to start hard and sad. And I, then, yeah. I think the worst one is also like, like She's Got Medals. There's that thing about, you know, like this woman joining really the army. Like and then there's that line, it's like, you know, she passed the medical exam. Don't, just don't ask. And it's like, what? Well, what, what? Don't just skimp on a detail like that. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, fuck uh, you, Bowie. Like, then I think at like a rubber band man, he's like doing like these little goat blips. He's like, what is the song where he goes, pew, pew, yeah, <laughs> we're, 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 no, 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 it's, I, oh, oh wait, 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 is it, I, is it, is it, is it, is it Hungry Man or Rubber, rubber Man? Man? No, because we, uh, we're the Hungry Man has all those fucking weird sound effects, I think, it's like, I don't know, the population's exploding, there's gonna be uh, 10,000 million in China. Wait, guys, I think, I think it might be, there's a happy land, Okay. Yeah. where he's talking yeah. about Mr. Grown-Up, Mr. Grown-Up, adults can't go there. <laughs> And then right. he's like, beep, 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 beep. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it's there's a happy land. <laughs> All right, now listen. We have 14 albums to get through, so I'm I listen, and so I'm not gonna go to bat for heavily hard against this one. The only one I would have put on here, my nomination personally, would be Pinups. 
And the reason why is that the last album, the, the All Covers album that came out there in 1973, the reason is that the more time I spent with it, like, first off, I can't ever forgive it for the fact that he covers the, the Who's I Can't Explain, one of the best fucking rock songs ever, and he just decides to pussify it in the worst goddamn way possible. Like, it's just like some bland horns and like all the staccato, like, is gone. It's just kind of this waving thing of noise. And like, Sorrow's a fine song, but like, pinups, and Taryn and I were talking about this earlier, is the fact that unlike any other album, that we've done for the Chartographers, interestingly, it's not, I wouldn't even call it necessarily a bad album. It's just this is the first one that feels truly and absolutely inessential. Because, like, here you have the band, the Spiders from Mars. You have this pretty great backing group over here. You got Mick Ronson doing some pretty awesome guitar work that, you know, here for you. And, like, what are you doing with it? Like, the band's there. It's kind of like, it really only exists as, like, people who are, like, hardcore Spiders from Mars fanatics. Like, this is their last gasp, kind of. But, like, that's, I just, it feels so utterly inessential to me. Uh, yes, I said that, so I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think that, like, there's a couple things worth checking out on here if you are a David Bowie fan. For example, Here Comes the Night. Yeah. I think he, he totally yeah, nails it. Yeah. He um, absolutely nails it. Um, and I also really like Where Have All the Good Times Gone. I think the, first, the opening song isn't, Jocelyn is pretty decent too, but I think once you get after that, I kind of really start losing it, losing interest after, uh, here comes the night. Like, um, mm. like his cover of uh, "See Emily Play" is like totally doesn't do anything to the do yeah. Like, to a Pink Floyd song. And there's yeah. like, uh, and then the vocal effects at the end are like kind of like ruin the whole thing. I just I think that between the two though, I think at least there's good there's good songs on pinups <laughs> because he yeah. didn't write some of those or young eighteen year old David Bowie. Yeah, didn't yeah write but them. like I said, you know, it's pretty much his attempt at doing his like the standard the new standards. It's kind of like a Sinatra thing with like the kids on rock and roll. But like it's just I agree, it's pretty it's 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 tough to argue which is more inessential between the two. Yeah, I'd say the first one maybe just because it no, none of it really ever came back to it. Whereas at least Steve Stalk still kind of did the. Style, the, the, the like the spiders on Mars sound a little bit after that. Yeah, Bobby, what do you, do you have any other uh, crazy other nominations you put in the last? Or spot? Any thoughts on Pinups? No, David Bowie was definitely my pick for number fourteen. Okay. Like so, a hard fourteen. So hard if 14. we <laughs> if we all decide on fourteen, are we okay with putting pinups at thirteen? Yes. 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 All right. Well, that you know that makes it easy because with, yeah, go I ahead. I think just kind of funny that you know just speak about how insignificant the album is. We even at least had all this stuff to joke about for the self-title, but then for we the just big, have nothing to say nothing about, to say about yeah. pinups. It's, it's just, just kind of in one ear out the other. It's yeah. very yeah. unremarkable. Exactly. I mean, I have to say that I did not do enough research to know that that was a full covers album. I recognized a couple, but like, See Emily Play, I had never heard that song before, and so when I heard it, I was like, this is weird and interesting, and yeah. so I was like, what is David Bowie doing on this song? And I didn't realize it was a cover at all, because I'm an idiot. But. And you know what? There's a lot of people that bought that album that probably also had no idea right. that these were a cover things. Like, oh, he kind of has some things going on here, and then but, you know, that's kind of my reaction to it. So, uh, that being said, though, uh, you went ahead You went ahead and nominated the worst album very easily, and we decided on pinups. Bobby, unenviable task time, number 12 on our listing. And oh, I just, 12. just Goodness. a nomination. We're not, we're not okay. you know, you we're just going to talk about it, kind of see okay. how we feel. It's going to get contentious, guys. I'm telling you that right now. There's a lot of great David Bowie oh, stuff. All right. I'm not, I'm not going to go hard for this, okay. but for your consideration, for, consideration. for number 12, I'm taking it. The Man Who Sold the World. Ooh. Because the only song I really like on that one is The Man Who Sold the World, and that's it. I wrote down a song that I didn't let was especially bad, and it was Running Gun Blues. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking hate that song. Yeah. You hate I, Running Gun Blues? I do. 
It is not melodically satisfying. It was, no, no. It's, I think it's that, a little. It's a little. Uh, it certainly doesn't follow uh, traditional time structures. <laughs> I say, say melodically unsatisfying kind of describes a certain amount of a lot of these songs. Like, um, so I first, <laughs> like, I first listened, heard this album. You know, and they have talked about getting good music at eighteen, whatever. So, like, when I first started going through Bowie. And I was like, uh, and I was eighteen, and I remember seeing that album cover where it's like, but not the, the, the one where he's in the dress yeah, and he's yeah, sprawled yeah. out there with the and photos I'm, on the ground. Yeah, I remember thinking cars. it was like kind of it was pretty it was spooky, not like in a way that scared me to listen to, but I was like, there's something like <clears throat> the, the occultism of of Bowie was way more flagrant than I think even people like, even though it's using people like Zeppelin, I think just how forward it was sonically in the production and in the visuals of that album that I was really intrigued and it was kind of like thrown off at that time and I think now just being older it's like it's kind of lost some of that right, to it. right. so I'd be curious to see what somebody who's like just 18 or not really like exposed to like certain experimental music would think of that but it's just it's kind of like a hard rock album yeah that doesn't really have it, it, it's characters all over the place I don't think they really knew what they wanted the record to be yeah, I mean, well, how did you describe, how did you say you described it, the more times you... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, though, I mean, the more times, when I first listened to this record, I was like, oh, wow, this is rocking really good. This was better than I was expecting a really early one to be. Um, and then every time I listened to it, like, the songs got less and less interesting. Yeah. Like, there's, like, an initial, there's an intriguing nature about this record, and then you just sort of realize how pretty plain it is. I mean, I think it's telling that two of my favorite songs on it have rock and blues in the title, declaring yeah. the genre that they are. Yes. yes. Like, it's not very innovative. Um, And on that note, I would yeah. say the only other thing that I really, like, come back to on here is Black Country Rock. Yeah, I'd actually, I actually Black Country Rock. I actually really, really I really like yeah. Black Country Rock, and I really dig Savior Machine. I, I like the lyrics to Savior Machine a little bit more than the music, though. That's fair. I'm not saying it's incredible, but as far as the songs, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of dig what's going on there. Like, I, I got some, I got some nice flashes of Harlan Ellison. I, I have the mouth on my screen when I was but, reading that. I'm but like, yeah, okay. when I was reading about you know the recording of the album, and they're saying that like a lot of you know David Bowie was just married at the time, and mm -hmm. he's kind of a bit distracted with his marriage, and they're talking about. Well, his wife was crazy because yeah. she was like, like, no, you should totally wear a dress that freak people out. Like, do it. She was like constantly encouraging. I think him some to of the stuff she encouraged earlier was actually a good idea. Yes, I think I it agree. was once he got successful, she had bad ideas. <laughs> but yeah. I think for like getting noticed, I think she actually did have. So I do think the cover that she did with that dress was actually like really striking. Yeah, and the, and and the, the biggest thing about it is that we're talking about uh, sonically David Bowie, but you have to forget that visually at the time, like this is before Prince. This is before a lot of things. Like right. the one of the idols that. He he loved so much was Little Richard because Little Richard was this you know explosive entertainer, but he also played this nice line of androgyny too. Yeah. Like you know, he's clearly a man, but God, that face is just so well cut. It is yeah. just trim. It is like feminine features Very a little bit up, there. Like yeah, thing. yeah. And like he and he had, and even in one of the interviews that we saw, he talked about like I just kind of wanted to be a white Little Richard, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> like, which is kind of crazy, but like it kind of makes a little bit sense. So makes like sense. him, but he also realized too that him kind of playing around with gender a little bit was getting him a lot of attention because even though this was the free love '60s '70s man, like it was still kind of weird for a yeah. popular singer put out records while not being sure if he's a man or a woman. Yeah, like, if you put out, like, if you try to, like, tour with that in the American South, like, you might get your ass kicked. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, because this is the, the era of, like, The Who and, like, Skinner, like, people who are listening to those bands are gonna beat up 
the people who go to Bowie concerts. But here's the thing, though, is that I gotta be a thousand percent honest. I was, if you asked me, if I was in the hot seat and you asked me to nominate what was number 12, I would have been like, ah, you know, I just said something. I, as soon as you said uh, Man Who Sold the World, I kind of felt a sense of relief because it's yeah. like, I haven't really thought about it in terms of all the other albums, but that feels about right. That being said, though, we have not talked about the song itself, The Man Who Sold the World. It's a great oh, song. So, so it's such a good song. So leagues ahead of every single song yeah. on that album, and yeah. some of the yeah. other ones that you do later, it's so, so smart and groovy. I, yeah. yeah, I feel like if... It says something if the best song on your album is, like, the single and then the rest is filler. Like, right. that is an indication of how good your album is. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. I picked this album because, like, you can tell that Bowie is trying something different with every new album. He's reinventing himself every time. And in this one, he's doing Zeppelin. And, like, <laughs> oh, he's Sabbath. not... He's it's like, it's Sabbath. It's something like, yeah. pretty ba- like, like, like bad Sabbath. Sabbath. Yeah. yeah, like, <laughs> Sabbath, but not as good. And so, you know... Yeah, and it's, it's also like, I mean, and yeah. the thing is that I do dig it because especially after the first two albums, these kind of textures, these kind yeah. of sounds are something that you didn't think he was yeah. even capable yes, of. As, yeah, but as I was saying, like, when they're talking about recording it, like, Bowie was, fresh, was like, freshly married at the time, and a lot of these songs, like, while he would pitch some of it, it's just kind of like, you know, he would throw in, like, a rip to them, and then, like, uh, Mark Ronson and Visconti would jam it out and turn it into something else, and it just seemed like everybody was just tossing out ideas and nobody really had right. any... Because this is around the time that they were the hype, uh, which was that other band that they had before they, you know, became anything truly formal, and they played shows and audiences hated them, but Bowie's like, yeah, this Rockstar thing's pretty cool, you know, like, he was digging <laughs> it, and he enjoyed the, the journey. Um, I think... Uh, not that I'd get that competitive about it. If you put Man, uh, Man Who Sold the World at 12, I'm okay with that. But I do kind of want to maybe pitch... Yeah, yeah, please, please, please. Uh, 1969 Space Oddity. Yeah. I just find that it's a record that's probably... I don't know, that maybe you could say it's probably better, maybe, like, more interesting songs than the one that Man Who Sold the World. But I just find that a lot of the... Other than, like, two or three songs, a lot of them kind of go nowhere. Yeah. They suffer the same issues of the first one, where he doesn't write a lot of hooks. And then you have a song like Signet Commander, where it just... It keeps, Nine minutes. It just keeps Nine going. Nine minutes. And there's not, like, there's any... Without any actual hooks, it's just, yeah, like... Yeah, and then at the very end, minutes. Memory of a Free Festival, when it has that large chant along yeah. of, you know, like, bringing down the sun machine so we can have a party. And, like, that feels great. You have to get through three minutes of noise to get there. But mm-hmm. once you do, like, it, like, I enjoy that part of it. Like, it does feel like a chant along thing. And Signet Extended Committee does not do that whatsoever. It just kind of meanders. The yeah. only song on here that I actually feel strongly about this, the album title one is Space Oddity itself is a good song. Absolutely. But, like, but uh, Letter to Hermione is the only not album title <laughs> track that I kind of enjoy. Letter to Hermione. Hermione. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that was so hard. Um, Letter to Hermi- <laughs> Hermione. 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 Um, is, as Evan said, like the best David Bowie song that no one knows. Yeah. Like, it's, I, it's I actually, so striking and so, like, visceral. Those little finger I have, flick, another, oh, I have yeah. another one that competes with that. That oh. one song, once we get to it later, but I also say, I felt the same way about Big Brother off of Diamond Dogs, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't care yeah. about anything on this album, and then you get to the end, and I'm like, holy shit, this is yeah, maybe like one the, of the well, best the production things. on that almost fucking sells it for me. But, I mean, Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey. Yeah. Space Odyssey, also an occasional dream. Is one that I like, but that, but I think that was just because, like, in college, someone showed that one to me out of context of the album, and so that's like the one that I remember. Okay. But I, I did enjoy it. I it's, really enjoy Janine too. Yeah. Um. I. But this is very much early David Bowie because he 
is still trying to figure out who he sounds like. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's and this is so not striking. the debut by any means. It's so striking to me yeah. how different all of the vocal takes are. Mm-hmm. I mean, across his entire career, he's a chameleon. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. but, but sometimes across the same album. Yeah. Like, on Janine, he's giving this, like, almost, like, very forceful, sort of worldly, mm-hmm. like, almost like a country performance. Um, um it's way it's great. It's crazy how like teenagers how just much more confident he is in oh, that yeah. manly. Yeah, I don't say, well, like I don't if you manly, play these albums like, back to back, I would be like, that's not the same artist. Like legitimately, totally, yeah. because this is a rock album, basically an acoustic rock album. But like, it is still like you know pretty straightforward. I, I the thing about this album is that you know Wayne Coyne. This must have been like one of the first fucking records he heard aside from Zeppelin, because like <laughs> fucking Flaming Lips like copped so many moves from this motherfucker of an album. Yeah. You know the thing about David Bowie is that at times. Sometimes it could be an album, and sometimes a single song can sound like one band's entire career, or in some cases, he can create a whole subgenre with one song, too. Yeah, like, he yeah. had that level of influence. He was never sold the level of Beatles or Zeppelin or anyone else like that. But, like, the people who heard it, the people who were into art, it goes back to one of his favorite bands, The Velvet Underground, which is, you know, I believe it was Brian Eno or some asshole who talked about the, the Velvet Underground and Nico saying almost no one bought the album, but everyone who did formed a band. Like, mm-hmm. this is, like, kind of in that same vein. And, like, I would say. Sp- Space Oddity, it's a fine record. I don't mind it if it's mm-hmm. on, certainly. I actually kind of like Unwashed and Somewhat Slightly Dazed. Me too. Like, that's, yeah. you know, like, it's kind of a little bit, little bit psychedelic there, but not, like, too much, because it's still on acoustic, but, and like, I gotta yeah. give him credit. The the chord structuring, a lot of those songs, I mean, like, it, like it's really important in the development of what you'll get for Hunky Dory com- like coming up after that, because he has this thing where, like, he knows how to really make it effectively sprawling, and just instead of, like, resolving, it's just, like, it just keeps adding layers and parts. And sometimes it's too much, but, like, I feel like the stuff that he does on that is where you do kind of get, like, the uh, the Life on Mars thing, where, like, where it keeps kind of, like, stepping over itself in like, a really epic fashion. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about Life on Mars, by the way, aside from being a story song, is that everyone keeps forgetting about how it has the ding, 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 a clap, clap right there in the middle. Like, it's kind of like... That's it's exactly. It's, 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 no, exactly. Like, in that, in that you song. You said Life on Mars. Oh, Sorry, yeah. you know, yeah. guess what? There's a lot of space Bowie songs. When you get drunk, you get a mix Wait, up. Wait, he has more great. than one space song? What? what? I know, I can't believe it. There's aliens and spiders from Mars. Uh, but yeah, like that one is just like, I love how he, there's, there's a little bit of pop to it too. It's kind of like, when I was thinking about it lyrically, like we all know the character of Major Tom, it's kind of out there, the song itself, Space Oddity. Like, I mean, like in a kind of bizarre way too, where like eventually it's like, do they want to know what, you know, like they want to know the name of the shirts you wear and everything, or like the name of your They want to know whose shirt you wear. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, okay. You know, yeah. like, you know, like it's kind of celebrity based, but then he's starting to float out the space. I don't know. It's just but like, then, like yeah. when you read more into it, there's like even more like, um, more like suggesting that there's a, uh, you know, like, it's, it's a big drug reference or, like, reference to heroin. Like, and, like you know, it's about him taking off yeah. and getting high, which then, once you get into Ashes and a- Ashes, yeah. yes. like, yeah. kind of did reinforce that idea that there is, like, a lot of connotations of being yeah. high. I don't feel like, necessarily, that was the full intent of <laughs> yeah. Space Odyssey. No, not the full yeah, one. I it think was, was released just as the moon landing yeah. was happening, so, like... Yeah. Oh, and for the record, in the documentaries, they played some of the early demo versions that were released because he's had to record the song multiple times over and over. Oh my gosh. Other uh, iterations of it are not good. Like an early version of this, the harmony vocal was up an octave mm-hmm. and it just doesn't sound right. It sounds really weird. Once, have, so, you, have you gone down the rabbit hole of like, oh fuck, what's that, what's that German guy's name who did like... The German response of... Philip Glass? No. Oh. 
there's a whole other rabbit hole. There, there's another, there was like another song that was inspired by Space Oddity from the German artist that became like a super popular like 90s oh, dance. That is a re- that is like a response to Space Oddity. Guns did a yeah. cover of it. Yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking about. And yeah. William Shatner. Yeah, oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. Oof, let me tell you something. Uh, so that being said, though, we've been talking about it for a little bit. Um, Man, uh, Man, the World Space Oddity. How do we all feel about those being the next two slots? I think that's great. Twelve and eleven. Let's it's, do it. Is it weirdly agreeable? I think that when we talk about it, I kind of am more on board with the Man Who Sold the World one, where I think there's at least more frequent, nicer moments in okay. Space Oddity. Yeah. Than, yeah. Um, okay. I would. I would definitely agree with uh, Man Who Sold the World at, at 12. twelve. Yeah. And Space um, Oddity at eleven. I wouldn't oh. necessarily. Oh. Do okay. That. Well, let's, okay. before we do anything else, let's go ahead. Let's lock in Man Who Sold the World at number. Twelve. Before it gets away from us. I know exactly. Yeah. I don't. I don't want it to get too crazy here, guys. We've the been thing, talking for thirty-six minutes. The thing about Space Oddity, I don't know. For me, similar to the Man Who Sold the World, is that like the one song is what I like, and then the rest to me is like it's nice, but it's like filler. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, unlike the debut. Uh, so listen, number fourteen, <laughs> David Bowie. Number thirteen, Penthouse. Number twelve, The Man Who Sold the World. We were talking about Space Oddity, but Taryn, you might have an alternate nominee. I'm gonna say something kind of really controversial. Kind of rude right now. Ooh, and ooh. Just because I, I know the people in this room, um, this is the, oh, yeah, I this know is the 1999 of this episode, mm-hmm. um, and I would actually nominate Low for 11. No. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. They, kept, they were saying it, Low. They all agreed with you, Low. Uh, but now before we talk about anything... Walk us through the background of that album and your thoughts on it. I just really don't like this album. I, it just <laughs> Tell does. us why. I, okay, so the opening instrumental, Speed, Speed of, of Life. Life it sounds like, like it's a pop song. It's about to be a pop song. It's, and no it, vocals and ever a, come this in. This is what inspired everything Damon Albarn ever did. <laughs> um, but, and then like, Breaking Glass is like, fun, I'm with it. And then I just like, I don't. I just like a life life like, is great, man. Orsawa just doesn't need to happen, and like I God, dude, these are some I just, bad opinions. I just don't like. <laughs> I, I just feel like because the the instrumentals on Heroes are just like so much more fully formed yeah, to I, me than I stuff feel, on Love. I like the sec. I think the instrumentals for Low are probably better than the ones for Heroes, but I like the side one of Heroes more than I like the side one of Lowe's. Now, that uh, that opinion that John Harvey just expressed is something that I feel about, too, because, like, Low, I feel like when I hear about Low, like, the start of this Berlin trilogy, mm-hmm. he's getting into crazy experimental stuff, like, he's still doing pop songs, but he's doing instrumental crazy stuff as well, I'm like, oh, shit, this sounds incredible. Um... The pop song side of Low, I don't think... I actually agree with Taryn as a two degree. I don't think it's great. Keep in mind, Sound and Vision is great. Breaking Grass... Is it I don't... Yeah, Sound and Vision is great. I love that one. Dude, I mean, also, dude, that written always, um, ding, 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 that instrumental, a new career in a new town, man, that's oh sex, that's I kind of forgot about that, that one, one I do just, really like new But also, let's break, it, let's break down the history of Lowe real quick. Yeah, exactly. So, like, Lowe, so, you know, after, Lowe came out in 1977, after releasing his most coke-fueled record, Station to Station, mm-hmm. Bowie decided to sober up, and when sobering up, he moved to Germany with into Iggy. an apartment with Iggy Pop. And at the wanted t- to strip down, strip everything down, and he just and he just pretty much looked entirely inward from that. And that time, him he just started inviting pretty much all of his closest collaborators in there, and he got Carlos Alomar back, Dave mm-hmm. Davis, 
and cl- Clive the bass player. Uh-huh. Anyway, but then he invites Clive. and he invites King Crimson guitarist Robert Fripp into there. Different from King Missile. Okay, as we found out earlier, no detachable penis here. The hard way. Exactly. Thank so you. So what different. we got going on here is I feel like this record, you know, it's like, you know, so like Bowie recorded this and Heroes within the same exact time frame, and the songs were kind of divided amongst each other. And Low is this thing where it's like it's definitely about kind of being reborn in a sense, or just kind of like finding a new you. And I think that's why. It's a little bit more colorful than like the new, than like heroes going on there, and I kind of do like you know some of the synth stuff. I feel like is a little bit more light, like it brings it to life a little bit more, and there's like a certain edge and bounce and excitement and a little fear. But then you got the second half, which like some people say is like this mu- this like soundtrack, but I just think all those tracks sound fucking brilliant. Yeah, like Warsaza, I think is just fucking genius. Yeah, and Subterraneans. I gotta be honest, like, my biggest thing this week is that when I had, I had a revelation with Low when I heard it for the first, because I felt like a couple years ago, I, like, I just casually was like, I'm gonna get into Bowie, and I put this on, because, like, everyone says it's one of his bass sounds. It's crazy experimental. Sounds like me. And I went ahead and I tried it, and it was like, eh... It just felt like kind of a whimper of an album, though. And this week, and Research Week especially, like, once that instrumental section hits, like, I was like, man, this album came out 40 years ago? And it sounds like it could come out today. Like, yeah. some of these fucking instrumentals sound like a Thomas Newman score yeah. for a movie. I also spent like, years not liking Lowe either yeah. before. That was one where, you know, you have your friends that are like, dude, I mean, Lowe's, Lowe's the one. And you got it, and you tell him, like, yeah, sure, but what are all these other ones? And this was, like, it wasn't until, like, even a couple of years ago that that one was just totally clicking for me. I mean, right. But that being said, though, like, I mean, Breaking Glass, I kind of, with that, you know, weird thing, and also that cut-off drum effect, how every drum head kind of cuts off, you know, with the thing, like, like, it just kind of, like, collapses, mm-hmm. like, right as it's about to finish in a very short amount of time. But that being said, though, once the instrumental section starts, I'm there. Some of the other pop songs on here, Be My Wife, like, these are okay. Like, I, think, I did Breaking Glass. I think What in the World, like, that... The, like, you want, like, the bubble synth on there? Oh, maybe oh not, I hate that one so much. I hate not, that fucking That top. one, I'll, yeah. I'm kind of not, yeah. a bit, not the biggest fan of that. But once you get past that, I'm kind of with it. You know, I do, yeah. like, be, be My Wife. At least more the chorus. I think the verses are okay, but I do yeah. once it gets to the chorus. Yeah, and, and Breaking Glass, it took a while to finally get on me, but, like, there's that chorus of, like, I really like you, but you got problems. Like, I'm like, that's like, okay, that's pretty yeah, cool. But I also yeah. do, I love that riff to Speed of Life, and I love those clunky, chunky-ass synthesizers that yeah. sound like glitches going on. Yeah. It almost sounds like, yeah. um, I mean, I know this was after, but mm-hmm. the synth tones, if you, like, double-timed it, sound like the, like, menu music for a, a Super oh, Nintendo. No, yeah, I, yeah, saying, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. this album had to have inspired so much Japanese video game scores. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the whole time it Actually, just... Actually, yeah. yeah, the whole album. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but, like, I legitimately, like, I do love the instrumental so much. But then I have this problem, though, where, like, if I only like some of the pop songs here, I then, when I think about Heroes, which is basically, you're talking about two albums kind of hand-in-hand with each other, mm. the pop songs on Heroes are fun. nuts. Yeah, yeah dude. Let's, let's talk, I mean, let's just, I mean, I'm not nominating it, but I figure let's you just, just talk, talk about, about it. it since they're so connected. connected. Yeah. So, yeah, then you have, like, the... This so, came out the same year. So, Lois' phrase is, like, the one It's kind of, like, you know, he moved to this new town, and it's kind of about, you know, discovering a new self. And I think, and, like, the hero is, is like, this... It's kind of cold. It's, you know, it's, there's, like, there, it's, yeah. it's not a dark, it's not bleak. It's just, you know, the way it's recorded, it has a certain coldness, and I feel like when you listen to this album, like... You know, here's a guy that you can tell feels kind of empty, is anxious as hell. You know, he's, like, hyper... I dig how fucking, like... I dig, like, the anxious tone and the overwhelmingness of, like, some of these songs. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so much about a guy who's, like, 
overly stimulated. Yeah. Like, even, even Heroes, which has, like, a very triumphant chord mm-hmm. structure, and yeah. even though the lyrics are weird as hell, like, the, like the title the title couplet is, like, very... Generic. You know, it was generic, and but so it's like it makes it feel. It makes, it makes you feel, feel important. And, yeah. and so you know, the guitar is pretty much just like it's a basic blues thing for the most part. Dun, 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 dun. But then, like you throw in like the synthesizers in the back and all right, the guitars. That, like, wailing, and like, the fact that for, yeah. his guitar is like nonstop through it, like in low in the mix, is and what like, I find echoey, whatever fucking thing. What it's I think great. the songs I feel like with Bowie that I feel like I feel most most strongly about most often is that you know he really knows how to like express this feeling of overwhelmingness or sensory overload. Yeah. And I think that with these songs, like when you start off with um with Beauty, Beauty and the, and the Be- Beast, like um, which is even about like his depiction, like like um, someone call the doctor, someone call the priest, can't say no to the beauty and the beast. And you're doing that, and it's just like it's it, like you, it feels overwhelming. And then like you have like uh you know Robert Fripp comes in and just in one take lays down these guitar takes. And I feel like it's also his collaborators on that is what sets it apart from being just a generic new wave album. Right. Yeah. You know, like you have Alomar who's like a dance and groove master. Clive who's like an R and B guy from you know the young American section. So you got like you've got the dancey rhythm section. You got that. You got um, Robert Fripp, uh, lead member of King Crimson, who's adding like this, you know, the sophistication and riffage that's just unparalleled. And then with Bowie, who's just like the pop writer. So like it never fully. Where, like, I think Lowe does kind of sometimes drift too far into a New Wave territory, and I'm also not the biggest New Wave fan. Uh-huh. Look, like, Heroes just feels like, and all the stuff going on from it that makes it feel from being, like, some shitty New Wave album. Well, right. I feel like you, you, you left out the fact that this is where he begins collaborating with Brian Eno. Yes. Yes. It sounds like a Brian Eno record to me. Yeah. It's an interesting collaboration, but it's, like, not my favorite. Well, Eno was on low, too, right? Yeah, but he didn't produce it. They collaborated musically together, but that album is still technically credited to producer of Bowie and Visconti. Okay. So, like, and so, like, even though uh, legitimately the only song that Eno gets a co-writing credit on is Warsaza, uh, that, like, that's legitimately it. Like, he still pushed Bowie in a lot of directions. Like, well, what if you did this? Because if you look at the credits on who plays what on low... Bowie plays xylophones. Bowie, play, Bowie plays Blowy. keys. Bowie, yeah, Blowy, Hootie and the Blowy Fish. Uh, but like, he plays so much on, and like, that was my revelation of like, Bowie, you played all this shit. Like, the stuff that still sounds amazing even today, like, is on there. But yeah, these are still conflicting albums because when you get to the instrumental parts on Heroes, get, don't get me wrong, I love the fuck out of Moss Garden. I love the fuck I out love of Moss, Moss, Moss Garden. Garden. Moss yeah. Garden is probably like my favorite. Like Windham Hill, it basically, yeah, exactly. It's fucking. It's melod. It's just beautiful. It's just this nice little, like, come down. It feels like I'm at a fucking spa. And I mean that in the most complimentary way I, possible. I do really like V2 Schneider, too. V2 Schneider is tribute to craft work is fucking great. That horn section is great. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, one of my favorites on here... Uh, dude, I am kind of, like, for a long time, been obsessed with Blackout. I just think that, like, the way those guitar, all those guitars kick in and, like, that, like all the section changes, like, there's so much great momentum pivots on that. Yeah. Not as big a fan of that one personally, but I also love that he just was like, "Fuck it, I'm going disco." (laughs) (laughs) Secret Life of Arabia. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad that you guys are on board with Secret Life of Arabia because this is a weird song to throw in at the end. But like, dude, it's groovy as fuck, and it also does have that disco thing where like that groove does make you want to do like the fucking hustle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But while we're talking about... Well, first off, I mean, and again, I appreciate you throwing out there something that I, was I think, controversial. 
Yeah. I don't expect yeah. it to be yeah. this low. I yeah. think that before, this low. clearly, yeah. before, at least because there's more songs that we can get on board at that, I'd like to submit Diamond Dogs. For number 11? Instead of Space Oddity? I don't know. I think definitely instead of low, I, but I think either between Diamond Dogs and Space Oddity. You know, I almost said that too. Oh. Um, <laughs> I fucking love the title track, Diamond Dogs. I think I, I, it's, yeah. it's pretty basic, but I think that he delivers the, the trope that he's playing into very well there. What's weird is that I fucking love the hook, and I'm not sure if I care about the rest of the song or not. Right. Mm, well, and the other thing, yeah, and I agree with that too, because Diamond Dogs, as we know, especially following pinups, he's like, you know what? The Spiders from Mars, they're fucking done. The big thing he was working on was a musical version of George Orwell's 1984. Uh, and eventually he was working on it pretty hard, apparently, until he found out that the Orwell estate was not going to give him the fucking rights to do it. So he's like, well, fuck you then. He just turned a lot of it into an album. And the actual song, 1984, it feels like the opening of a fucking disco musical. Which is... And you know what? If he had put it first, yes, maybe I would enjoy it. But instead, it is ninth. Yeah, it is So it just feels really The second half is like the collection of... The second half is the more interesting Yes, I from his abandoned, it's all the stuff from his abandoned 1984 stuff. Are you, know? you trying to say that rock and roll with me is more interesting? I'd say it's more interesting than pretty much everything before it. <laughs> I mean, aside from I don't think any. I don't think any. I just Rebel Rebel. It's iconic. It's great. I, I just it, it, it's it, not interesting. It, to me, it's like it's a not good Stooges song. It's a fucking great song. It is a great song. song. It's, it's fucking yeah. gender Rebel bending. Rebel is yeah. a great riff. It's a yeah. great ass song. And I'm not gonna give not it credit. Necessarily great. It's it's. I mean, I check if you check out Spotify. It's one of the most streamed. It's one of the most popular. I'm not gonna be like make yeah, a stance where like you guys you guys are you wrong about it. Get it man. Just more yeah. in a sense that like it just makes me want to listen to like raw power instead of finish out that. It, it's. I mean, I also love the fact that this is around the era when he just started clowning on this on the Rolling Stones so often. I'm just like, guys, fuck you. I can do better sometimes. Give me a shot. Uh, yeah. yeah. And like, so Diamond Dogs is still like the sweet thing candidate, sweet thing, nine minute sweet. Some people like saying, oh, that's one of his most underrated things. Yeah. I'm like, again, this still still feels like a musical, but this feels like the bad part of a musical. See, and yeah. I just don't like musicals, and that's why like this most everything ex I, everything except the chorus of 1984. I like. I also, I mean, just yeah. like, like, I just feel like it's 1984. Weird... It's like so over the top, like <laughs> theatery that, like, I just, it's weird because there's that awesome disco section. The breakdown's yeah. fucking phenomenal. Yeah, but I think what really stands out, the one track that I think that really stands out was Big Brother, Brother. on this yeah. record. The production it's, is so fucking it's cool. It's so fucking epic. That yeah. line, like, someone to save us. Do -do 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 like that weird vocal like keyboard yeah. thing that they're doing yeah Ugh. Just, yeah diamond dogs? diamond dogs diamond dogs for a number 11 how do you feel how do i it? feel about it i felt like it was a return to form for him okay because he did uh ziggy stardust and spiders from mars and that was like exceptional and then aladdin sane was sort of like the coked up version of that <laughs> and then pinups yes. and then diamond dogs was a return to like writing good stuff and like being creative again so i feel like it's sort of up there with like Ziggy Stardust, whereas Aladdin Sane is like maybe lower. Really? really? Yeah. I, oh, I, wow. I think Aladdin Sane is big, better than Ziggy Stardust. Oh, oh we're just dropping bombs. Oh, I, left I don't. And I don't right. expect. I don't expect that one to really that get, much traction, I think get much that, traction. I think that we should we should lock in Space Oddity number eleven, 
I yeah, would, because we're 50 that. minutes, we're 50 minutes into the podcast at this point. <laughs> yeah, I want to get to at least number seven if I'm we can do that. With locking in space, I, I agree. I think especially the more we talked about, I think yeah, it, yeah. Because when as we were talking about low, I was like, oh shit, there's some stuff on here I kind of forgot about. Yeah, and but, we, and again, you can you're not going to necessarily put it at number one there. So you know, stick to your guns on some of those aspects. But, like, at the same time, we have to, like, hear low and heroes are kind of sides of the same coin, but different in their own way. Personally, though, if I were to throw another thing out here, and I'm taking a hard look at all of these things, if you said Diamond Dogs, I could toss it out there. i got to be honest, I'm torn between two albums, and one of them I'm going to put out there is Lodger. Okay. Yeah. Because here's the thing, like, I feel like after, like, Low and Heroes with this whole A-side, B-side pop song instrumental-like thing on there, as weird as that was, it was still interesting there. Lodger's kind of like, okay, let's just do weird pop songs then. Lodger's just like, ooh, we really liked Talking Heads 77. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that was the thing, like, listening to it, because, like, especially by listening to date, it always happens the day we record the episode, I was listening to him like, oh, there's the Stones references that, like, I was kind of, like, hearing, but not, like, it was clicking into place. I was hearing, like, oh, Blur fucking ripped off fucking, you know, Be My Wife later on. And then when I heard this album, I'm like, oh my god, this Talking Heads, it's David Byrne. DJ is a basically a Talking Heads song um, outright. As is Fantastic Voyage, that yeah. that chorus. Yes, um, as is African African Night Flight and oh, that's scene. Yeah. And fucking... He even got, even got, like, uh, even got uh, Talking Heads contribute to Adrian Blue yeah. to go and play the guitar riff, so it's extra Talking Heads. It's super like. Talking Heads, um, right. This song, uh, Boy Boys Keep Swinging was also kind of partially written about Adrian Ballou. Oh. Hmm. I feel like you can wear a uniform. I, I yeah. really like Boys... Oh, sorry, Bobby, you go first. I was going to say, uh, Yasasin reminds me of Zappa. <laughs> I do really yeah. like I really I, like Yasasin. I, yeah. I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> okay, so just briefly, because like, I was kind of like going through last night, we were like going into like our last, like getting everything together, feeling everything. And I just kind of looked up a couple, like what's the most underrated, you know, David Bowie album? What's the most, and I come up with a lot of those, the most underrated David Bowie songs. And one list who I, I will never forgive. And I want to burn from the internet. I'm telling you right now, whatever fucking site it was said the most underrated David Bowie song was African night flight. And oh. I don't think there's a song that I've hated as actively as that since <laughs> yeah, fucking, that, uh, joined the game. Just like, Oh my like, God. It feels That's, racist. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does no. I don't know why. Like it's just like it feels weirdly appropriateistic. Yeah, like, it's just, right. Because oh. it's like the bad side of like again, not to harp on the Talking Heads thing too much, but like it's when there. they when yeah. they told stories about like characters living in the Middle East, you're like, eh, is the, I can't Should write you this. this. Should yeah. you write right. this story? Is this your story? But it was no. at least like. From a it place felt, of earnestness? Uh, yeah, and it felt, like, reverent, it felt respectful, whereas, like, I don't know that African Night Flight feels respectful. Um, it feels British touring Africa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it feels British very tourism. colonialistic. It is yeah. totally... Yeah. Yeah. But there's some songs on here... I, I will say this, there's, this album, I like Lodger, I think it's just a lot of songs that I think are good, but not any that are, like, amazing, yeah. or, like, are, like, all-timers. Like, I dig Yasison, uh... Red Sails DJ, Look Back, Nigger, Boys Keep on Swinging. But you like, like Red Sails? I like Red Sails. Red Wait, Sails is, you like Red I like Red Sails. It's a nice little like, B-52Z kind of guitar line that's going I'm on I'm not going to be like, hey, that's uh, you're, you're, you don't understand the greatness. Of that. I, that's like, how I feel about most of this album the same way, is that there's... I think I like most of it, but I don't love any of it. Yeah, we're not. We don't feel like great feelings towards it. I'd be very surprised if anyone's like, "Oh yeah, Lodger's my favorite Bowie album." I'd I think, be like, 
I think yeah. Yes, uh, yes, is like the most like my favorite song on it. I think we've said it like eight different ways, by the way, and it's I love that. Yes, no. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, they sing it in the song. Yes, I mean, um, I would say my favorite song on here is actually "Look Back in Anger," um, partially just because. I'm a sucker for good vocal takes, and he has so many terrible vocal takes that like this <laughs> one stood out for me. Like yeah. he sounds really great, and it's a he's very emotive, so, uh, which I appreciate. But I also sometimes kind of feel like "Boys Keep Swinging" is like a cheap attempt to recreate Heroes, like as far as like production choices. I mean, sonically, I mean, musically, I think it's trying to do something a little bit more gender bendy type, you know, in the vein of like Rebel Rebel or what have you. But like, yeah, I'm not saying um, sonically, but like, you know, thematically. It okay, is. Yeah. thematically. No, yeah. I'm talking sonically. I'm talking about. I don't know. I guess I don't pick up that much. The guitar drone yeah. in the background. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, I, I know. I guess it depends. Are we putting Lodger against Diamond Dogs or is somebody else putting something on there? Who? Yeah, who do we want as number 10? Like, Bobby, Bobby saying... if you had your druthers. What would you put at number 10? What would I put at number 10? Goodness. <laughs> I Like, there are a number of them. I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like the Berlin Trilogy maybe goes higher on the list. Like, I don't think that they're near the number 10 Guys, spot. We yeah. haven't even talked about scary monsters, though. Yeah. If we're talking about bad David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, here's the thing. I remember, like, when we did our initial, like, run-through of all the albums or whatever, I remember, like, everyone said the same thing. Like, after the Berlin Trilogy, Scary Monsters has returned to form. And, like, there's a couple songs in here from, like... But yeah, think, it feels like it. I think the middle section is yes. incredibly strong. Yes. And yeah, it's a really piss poor opener and closers. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. Because like it's one of the things Absolutely. Yeah, I mean like I yeah. don't like the vocal effects on scary monsters. The scary you like that thing. But like ashes to ashes. First off, let's ashes talk about ashes. ashes. I, that was just like I never vibed with until we did this one. Yeah. I'm like, dude, this is a great yeah. fucking My my interaction with Ashes to Ashes was like when I went to the David Bowie exhibit, like they had the music video section, yeah, and yeah. I was just watching the Ashes to Ashes video over and over again because I was like, oh, this is a story arc. Like, yeah, what's, the, what's this fucking clown doing on like, the beach? Yeah, like, yeah, this is crazy. And so then, and then when he died, I just listened to this over and over again, and I just kept playing it on my radio show. I was like, oh my god, there was just something about it. Yeah, I was just like drawn to it because I felt like in a way he was Major Tom, and this is. Him being strung out. And, and like, on, but honestly, it's that line, strung out in heaven, which yeah. is just like, A, the Brian Jones Time Massacre even named an album after that, because like, that's just a great visual right there. But like, mm -hmm. there's no reason to bring back Major Tom, but somehow it works in yeah. its own way. Like, I don't even understand the eternal logic of like, you mm -hmm. know, is he out here? Like, he went out to space and now he's just out there in this fucking like weird like, Odyssey thing? Like, and like, is it's it almost sounds like they are, he is saying that like, they have named a street drug Major Tom, like a drug that has a street mm -hmm. name of Major Tom, like, oh, you gotta get Major Tom or something like that. I don't I know. I felt like it's like high on his like, like it's like high on his own success. Yeah, you yeah. know, like you know, it, he, now that he's sober and he doesn't have drugs, I still feel like it was like it's also another part of the sober side of Bowie that I feel like maybe just his whole business and way of life was right. its own drug. Yeah. So it's 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 hard though. Like I love that song so much, but it's on an album 
that I am fine putting at number two. It's no you game put also, two. Put your kids putting camel shit on the walls. Cool. Can we talk about how fucking good teenage wildlife is? Surprisingly, though? yeah. Like, holy shit, that thing is anthemic as hell. Like I almost feel like that is more of an immediate uh, antecedent of heroes than anything else. Well, that's the difference between what we're talking about between scary monsters and Lodger is that you know I think Lodger is overall more consistent. I, I like it as a piece more, but like you know, scary monsters does have ashes, fashion, teenage wild, and teenage wildlife like some pretty iconic amazing songs yeah uh and that being said uh let's also talk about fashion fashion turn to the left fashion (laughs) you know turn to the right like it's just like Um, almost minnesota uh, minnesota sound princey kind of sort of yeah like like the like the production of the guitars on there are very like it's very, like, stark. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, like, it's stark in a fascinating way. This whole album, though, has, like, I would agree, though, sonically, like, texturally, kind of has the same sound all the way throughout, because some of the other albums, like, even in Heroes, it's kind of all the same sound for the most part, but, like, they find interesting ways to go about and play it and use negative space. Scary Monsters is kind of the same sonics all the way through, which is when you hit Ashes to Ashes and Fashion and Teenage Wildlife, what a great run that is! It's just then... You know, it's no game number two, and you, you know, keep joking about it's no game number two. But compared to everything else on here, I yeah. actually like that. Yeah, like that. That especially because lyrically, in, lyrically, I like that song a lot. I think music, I, yeah, I really like when he brings in all those multi-tracked vocals and in the actual chorus of it, because it's no game. Oh, like yeah. I really enjoy that choral section. Yeah, not that it's. The song as a whole isn't brilliant, but it like I don't. It has even... a little bit more passion than Kingdom Come. Yeah, yeah. I would Kingdom Come. If you played that for me now, else. I'd been like, "That's a David Bowie song." Like I have to get context clues to get it. So uh, yeah, Bobby, do you have anything more? To say? I almost wish we'd put this at number eleven. Mm-hmm. We, I just kind of forgot it existed. I I definitely like Space Up. Well. I don't like... know. I'd say that the standout tracks for Scary Monsters, like. I still kind of puts it ahead for me. Well, I think like maybe Space Odyssey is more listenable. Mm-hmm. I just As think at album, least album. That, at least um, you know scary monsters produce something culturally significant. <laughs> I'm saying Space Oddities and oh, culturally God, significant. I mean, even in the video, even the doc, they even kind of said that after it released, you know, it wasn't until way later in his career it became yeah. more iconic. Like for the first couple of years, they said that like after. After the moon landing happened, it became kind of a novelty hit. And yeah, so, like, and he later. wanted to right. avoid that. And that's right. why, dear like, Mr. President, what was it? Yeah. Dear Mr. Kennedy? Yeah. Yeah, dear Mr. President, although I am hesitant, walk hard, guys. So, <laughs> wait. So that being I'm said, I'm talking about Lewin oh, Davis. One? What? I'm talking about Lewin Davis. Like, oh, Llewellyn Davis. Oh, yeah. That's right, I would yeah. still put hey, Diamond Dogs, Scary Monsters. Unless like, we, somebody feels strong enough about Diamond Dogs that it should go above Scary Monsters. <sighs> May yeah, I, I honestly would say Diamond Dogs is a more pleasant listening experience, but yes. I'm not gonna fight very hard. Yeah, to I would say I would. Here's here's me. I would say scary. Mo- I I think that honestly, you know, not counting your feelings towards low necessarily. Diamond Dogs, Lodger, and Scary Monsters, I feel like, are what we're talking about for these next three yeah. spots. Are we kind of in agreement on that for the most part, Bobby? Questionably, mm-hmm. maybe there's things that I would put lower than that but I I, I don't want to like I, I don't care who's wrong or right I just don't really want to fight no more wow Bobby <laughs> fucking lay down hippie oh my god just like, out of curiosity what would you nominate probably fucking I don't know man 
Young Americans? I don't know. Yeah, that's not happening. I don't know. As long as we're talking, I would say Scary Monsters number 10, 9 could be Diamond Dogs. I could go with that. Yeah, I think... Do you want to put... Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with that, but do you want to do Lodger before Diamond Dogs, or do you want to do before or after? I I I would put... Diamond Dogs lower than Lodger. Lower, lower than Lodger? That's fair. Yeah, okay. upon, uh, after finishing this discussion, I would definitely put Diamond Dogs lower than any of the Berlin trilogy. Okay, right. well, in that case, I, not, I don't know if you know this, guys. Even though that is seven albums and seven slots... are we slots, locking in Lodger at eight? Did are we, we agree lo- on I'm, that? I mean, I'm okay with it. I, I'm, I'm fine. I think it worked. <laughs> I mean, Bobby, say that one more time for me. I'm fine. I want that as a sound clip for future Wait, episodes. Well, I just I want to know what would you put lower than Lodger? What would I put? Young I mean, Americans? like I'd have to look. Cl- yeah, something like Young Americans or Aladdin Sane that just didn't thrill me as much. I mean, like I don't know. <laughs> Bobby, I love you. I just don't. I don't know. I don't feel super strongly Great. either way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You know, I'll yeah. take that. That is the spirit of compromise right yeah. there. Because let me tell you something, guys. Even though we've locked in seven for this part one, uh, the next seven it's gonna get interesting. It's is all I can say in here. It's gonna get really real. Uh, or the next eight. Four will enter one yeah. leave. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but so for the record, guys, what we have here, we have Lodger. We, I'm sorry, let me go ahead and go to number 14, we have David Bowie. Number 13, we have Pinups. Number 12, we have The Man Who Sold the World. Number 11, Space Oddity. Number 10, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. Number 9, Diamond Dogs. And number 8, Launcher. That's what we got. That's what we have. That's where I, we're at. All right. And listen, guys, that is a great, fantastic way that we've been doing this so far. We still have a lot more to go. So in the meantime, A, keep listening to part two because we're not going to mention these albums in part two. Uh, but let me also just say, uh, Bobby and John Harvey, thank you so much for being here yeah. for a part of this. Yeah. I hope you stick around for the next one. Bobby, he's giving me a look of it. He doesn't <laughs> oh, I know. Got, yeah. I got somewhere. <laughs> I got some major Tom to my dealer's calling. It's great. Uh, and the beginning is, though, thank you as always, of course, too. This is great. Uh, we got a couple more listening. Uh, do us a favor. Uh, if you like this, please uh, like our Facebook. Uh, rate us on iTunes. And actually do it. I would really appreciate it. It's a season finale. We are owed a present, I feel. Uh, so if you could go ahead and please. Do- it's a big deal. It's a celebration. Uh, keep doing this. In the meantime, though, uh, keep on listening because you know that we'll be. Have a good one, guys. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.